Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled Grace for Grace. Today we intend to begin a two-message mini-series based upon a statement that we have recorded for us in John chapter 1 regarding our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, specifically verse 16 of John chapter 1, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Our broadcast today will primarily deal with the fact that we have received grace for grace, God's grace is something that we receive from the Father before the foundation of the world. We were saved by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary by His grace, and the Spirit has quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved. And so, as we will emphasize today, we have grace for grace for grace. Everything that we have is because of the grace of God. And we'll emphasize the fact that we're totally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ because of this grace. And the next week on the broadcast, we hope, Lord willing, to speak to you about the fact that here in our lives, we are sustained by grace, we receive assurance through God's grace, and we're nourished through God's grace throughout our lives. And we hope that both of these messages are an encouragement to you. Let's begin by reading some from John chapter 1. Again, the foundational verse of our subject for today being John chapter 1 and verse 16, that we've received fullness of him and grace for grace. John 1, as you know, begins with a statement regarding Jesus' deity and his divinity. If you listen to words of grace or you watch live streams, or video sermons from Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, you know that John chapter 1 is a passage that we are most often in. This is one of my hobby horse passages. It's one that I use often. It is bedrock to our understanding of the deity and the divinity of Jesus. And John 1 1 simply reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've reflected on that verse recently. We have considered it for a variety of reasons in several recent broadcasts. Simply put, that statement in the beginning would get anyone's attention who was a student of Judaism in John's day. Anyone that had access to the Hebrew Bible, the first words of the Hebrew Bible would find that familiar, and it would grab their attention. In the beginning was the word. The word word here is translated from the Greek word logos, a term that had deep philosophical meaning to Gentiles. Philosophers for many years before the time of Christ had come to recognize that there was some divine reason to the universe, that the same logic and reason that we observe in the human mind was visible and apparent in creation. And so this concept, this philosophical concept of Logos, came to have reference to some sort of divine reason and logic to the universe that even could be in the minds of some of the philosophers, a mediator between the Creator and human beings. And John goes straight to this as he begins his gospel with, In the beginning, 
a statement Hebrews would know, was the Word a statement that Gentiles would know? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men." And regarding this word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when John says in the beginning was the word, the logos, he goes on to say that this logos, this word, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth and full of truth. So the Word that was with God in the beginning, the Word that was God in the beginning, the same Word that was with God in the beginning, this Word that we would know as the second person of the Godhead, the Godhead being the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, this Word was incarnate. He became flesh He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, this logos, Christ, the Son of God, he is the creator of all things. As you noticed in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he is the giver of all life. Notice this in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's a statement that is a universal principle in Scripture, that darkness does not comprehend light. And as that applies to human beings, those who are natural men, those who are yet in their sins, the gospel, the word of God, the identity of Jesus— Those things are foolishness unto him because they are spiritually discerned, and a natural man is void of the Spirit of God. He is yet unregenerate and reprobate and in his sins. This word is God, according to John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. This word is creator. This word has given life, the living word has given life to all who are alive, and him was life, and the life was the light of men. And he has lighted, verse 9, every man that cometh into the world. And to the explanation of that statement, I simply say that all life, whether physical or spiritual, comes from the life giver, and the life giver is God. The life giver is Christ, the second person of the Godhead. We have physical life because of Christ. We have spiritual life because of Christ. There's a physical creation because of Christ. We have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus because of Christ. And so all life, whether physical or spiritual, comes from him. Verse 13, those who receive him, those who believe the gospel, do so because they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And what does that statement mean? It simply means that if you're a person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is because you have been born again. And you were not born again because of blood. God doesn't have grandchildren. What that simply means is every person that is born of God is born of God. They are a son of God. We are God's children if we are born of him. But just because your parents were born again, it didn't necessarily mean that you would be born again. That's something personal and direct between God and individuals. We're not born again because we come from a bloodline of born-again people. 
There's no sort of chosen bloodline as it relates to salvation in the Word of God, but God chooses people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. They were born of God, not because of blood, nor the will of the flesh. That is to say, their flesh did not choose the nature that they had in Adam, who they were in Adam without Christ. They did not become born again because of that nature. They're not born again because of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. That is, themselves or any other human being, people who are born again, are born again of God, and that is what has enabled them to believe in the Word and to, as it were, receive Him as the Messiah. We believe that He is the Messiah. We receive that fact. We accept that information because Jesus Christ has quickened us when we were dead in trespasses and in sins. And again, this is not because of blood. It's not because of the will of the flesh. It is not because of the will of man. But this is exclusively of God. And so the Word is God. The Word is made flesh. The Word created everything in the beginning of time. The Word is the source of all life, whether physical or spiritual. And we believe that this Word is who this Word says He is, full of grace and truth, the only begotten of the Father, because we have been born of God. Now, let's come to our statement for today, which is verse 16. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. The first time I read that statement, grace for grace, and for many months, if not years later, it puzzled me why that language existed as it does in the Word of God, and I had difficulty finding an explanation for that. What does it mean we've received grace for grace? Some Bible translations, more modern English translations, reword that in a way that does not accurately reflect what is written in Greek to say that we have received grace upon grace. But then if you notice, there's always a footnote, and then it will say in the center column, literally, grace for grace. Well, the KJV got it right when they translated it, grace for grace. The same word order or structure is used in places where Jesus quotes the law in Matthew 5, tooth for tooth, the same order is there, the same word for four is there with tooth for tooth, but here it is grace for grace. And so grace for grace is literally what John wrote. You can consult the Textus Receptus and find that what I'm saying is true. Grace for grace is the literal translation in English of what the Greek there says. What does it mean then that we have received grace for grace? That's an interesting statement. What John is conveying to us, remember Jesus is full of grace. We're born again because of him through grace. What he's saying here is that we have received of his fullness, and everything that we have from God is through grace. Now, what's grace all about? What does that word mean, grace? Well, it simply has reference to unmerited favor. If something is by grace, it cannot be by works. And if something is by works, it cannot be by grace. This is paraphrasing the point of Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. If by grace, then it is no more of work. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Work and grace are mutually exclusive concepts, and if something is by grace, it can't be by works. If something is by works, it cannot be by grace. And we have received 
the fullness of him, we have received grace for grace. What this is simply saying is that everything that we have in God is by grace. Now, I want you to think about this grace for grace, because I find it helpful to think about grace as the currency that we receive something else from God. We in our country, we have currency. Now, again, this metaphor falls apart as you think about the fact that grace and what we receive in salvation is unmerited. But in our country, you earn money, and then you use that money to buy things. And so you exchange cash for goods, something for something else. In God's economy, in salvation, in daily providence, in the blessings that we have, in sustaining grace each and every day, everything that we have, we get for grace. And I believe as we think about how we are sustained by God blessing us throughout our life with so many graces, that will make a lot of sense. How through the Spirit we draw nigh unto God and we worship Him and He blesses us, and that blessing He gives us is not earned, but it is also grace, and that sustains us and nourishes us through this life. That will make a lot of sense as we consider next week's broadcast and God's sustaining grace in our lives. But we receive grace for grace. It's like a currency that we don't earn and we have nothing to do with. God gives us grace because of the grace that he's already given us, grace for grace. Now, rather than trying to continue to labor that point and sound like I'm speaking to you in riddles, let's look at where the rubber meets the road in this concept of receiving grace for grace. We'll look at the order of salvation as the greatest demonstration of grace for grace, and I think that this concept will make a lot of sense to you, grace for grace. The Father gave grace to people before the foundation of the world when he chose them. Now, if you're unaware of that fact, that God the Father chose those who are saved before the foundation of the world, I would introduce you to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. These are blessings. They're spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That simply means that our destiny was set beforehand. He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Christ to be children adopted by Jesus Christ to himself before the world began, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So God choosing people in Christ before the foundation of the world was something that was in grace. We were not chosen because of anything that we would do, any foreseen merit, any future acceptance of him, because in the Psalms we read in two places that the Lord looked down from heaven to see if any did seek after him, and they're all gone astray. But God the Father chose people, sinners, even people who were his enemies. He chose to save them. He set their destiny to be conformed to the image of his Son, and this is to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, what we just explained to you was what we refer to as the covenant phase of salvation. God the Father chose people in His Son before the foundation of the world by grace. He chose His people before the world began as an act of grace. But notice that next statement in Ephesians chapter 1. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So, The Father chooses people in grace, or chose people before the foundation of the world in grace, and the Son acts in accordance with His Father's choosing by grace and redeems us upon the cross of Calvary according to the riches of His grace. So what's our message today? Grace for grace. Jesus redeemed His people upon the cross by grace, and He redeemed people that the Father had chosen by grace. And so what you see there, I believe, is one example of what Scripture means when it says we have received grace for grace. The grace of redemption was because of the grace of election. We are chosen by the Father. The Son comes into the world at an appointed time to die an appointed death for an appointed people. He goes to the cross of Calvary, and he dies for them. He bleeds. He suffers. He takes their sin upon him, and when he gives up the ghost and he cries out, it is finished, he delivered them. He redeemed them from the power of sin. He redeemed them from suffering for all of eternity in the lake of fire, and that redemption was by God's grace. But that's not the end of salvation for the child of God. There is another phase of salvation that they experience, the phase of salvation that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And so, still in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking about quickening when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is us in our depravity before the spirit entered our hearts, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were by nature children of wrath, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Notice this parenthetical statement in verse 5. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them." What do we read here in Ephesians chapter 2? That the Holy Spirit quickened us when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, and this quickening was what? Grace. We were quickened by grace, by God's unmerited favor. We have been saved and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has saved us. He has given us the grace of faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
We are His workmanship. Salvation isn't because of what we've done, but what God has done for us. Notice how His workmanship is contrasted with works. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. We are His workmanship. And regarding Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and that word faith there, the best definition that I have ever read of that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so everything we do by faith, we do by Christ in us. The Spirit of His Son has been sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we know Him, and that knowledge of Him is literally eternal life. This is a Hebrews 8 sort of heart knowledge of God, whereby we know Him. But did you catch how many times grace appeared in that statement, in that run of verses? And what's the context there? Quickening, regeneration, the new birth. Did you notice how he appeals back to the redemption of Christ? We've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We are united with Christ in the new birth. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so the grace of quickening is because of the grace of redemption, and the grace of redemption is because of the grace of election. What we receive from God, we receive grace for grace. One day in glory, when we are delivered from this world, we will receive the grace of heaven because of the grace of choosing, the grace of redeeming, and the grace of quickening. The book of Romans chapter 8 really does a fantastic job explaining that in a to-the-point and concise order. For whom he did, for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that's the grace of election, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, that's the grace of quickening, the grace of the new birth, and whom he called, them he also justified, that is the grace of salvation that occurred upon the cross, and whom he justified, them he also glorified, that's the final grace that we will receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's emphasize this point for a moment. What did you do to get that grace? Nothing. You received grace for grace. You were the beneficiary of all of this. Nothing you did brought any of this to pass. You are His workmanship. You're not saved according to your good works. You didn't choose this. You didn't do anything to get this because you were dead in trespasses and in sins. But because of the grace of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, the grace of God the Spirit, we will receive the grace of living with Him in glorified bodies for all of eternity. Now, because we have received grace for grace, those who are in Christ are saved, and He does not give up on them ever for any reason at all. In the book of John chapter 6, we read this very clear and definitive statement, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. Jesus will lose nothing. But if he has died for someone, by his grace they will be with him in glory, because he will not lose one soul he died for. Now, how do I know if I'm one of those souls he died for? Well, look at verse 40 of John 6. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's how you know faith is a product of the new birth, a fruit of the Spirit 
authored and finished in us by Christ. And so if you're a person that believes, you believe because you are born of God, according to 1 John 5, 1, or you could refer back to what we already said from John chapter 1 in today's broadcast. And so if you believe, that testifies that you're a person who is born of God. In John chapter 10, a passage that we love to refer to often here on Words of Grace, a passage that I hope you know And I hope it gives you much peace. Unbelieving Jews came to Jesus and said, If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly, how long dost thou make us to doubt? And Jesus said, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus gives us eternal life, and no one can take us out of his hand. I would emphasize that eternal life in John 17 is literally to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And so if you know God, you have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, you know God. This is a Hebrews 8, intimate heart knowledge of God. You know him. Now, what's so beautiful about that? All will know him from the least to the greatest. Little babies that didn't make it into the world, people who have mental handicaps, people that you would think there's no hope for because there's no way ministers can go preach the gospel to them. Things like that cannot hinder or limit the Lord Jesus Christ in the salvation of his people. They receive grace for grace, and they will know him from the least to the greatest. You ever wonder how little baby John the Baptist knew to leap for joy in his mother's womb when Mary, the mother of our Lord, walked into that room? Because the Holy Spirit lived within him, and he knew God, and he knew Christ from the heart, though he had not yet even learned a language. That right there is what we're talking about here in John chapter 17. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And that knowledge is literally everlasting life. Grace for grace. What a concept is that? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, verses 18 and 19, and he describes this love of God which has brought this grace to us in a three-dimensional model. He says, I would that you would be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What an amazing concept is the grace of God that has brought salvation to us undeserving sinners. A good place to end today's broadcast is found at the end of Romans chapter 8, a passage we've already considered today. The closing remarks of this chapter, we've received grace for grace. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed 
all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, listen to me, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We stand secure in the grace of God because of his fullness we all have received and grace for grace. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write, let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.